for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh my goodness, we've gone and done it now. Look y'all, if you want to learn something about elk calls and calling, then come on into elk camp with us, slide your butt into a chair, and buckle up. Because today's guest has forgotten more about the subject than most folks will ever learn in three lifetimes. That's what happens when you're raised as part of an elk calling dynasty. Oh no, we ain't dropping no names just yet. But get ready, because this... Native Son is one of the most genuine, hardworking, passionate, and knowledgeable elk hunters and elk call manufacturers there is. And he's about to spill the juice. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Brought to you by ElkGrows.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, from the Katy, Texas area, we've got the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia in the house, Mr. Luis Gonzalez. And from Cuesta, New Mexico, that's right, we got the legend in the house, Mr. R.C. Knox, and from Las Cruces, New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, one of the elk bro original elk hunting coaches, that's right, the Gila Ridge runner, Mr. Eric Aragon, and from Cimarron, we got WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do, he's in the house, teed up and ready to go, and joining us tonight at Elk Camp, every 
parent hopes and prays that their kids are better than they are. Well, we don't know if he's better because there are some huge shoes to fill. That's for sure. But we absolutely know this man's father couldn't be more proud. He grew up in an elk call dynasty built by Mr. Wayne Carlton. And today, while also a full-time fireman, he has continued the family tradition with his own twist of passion and artistry and expertise to produce some of the best elk calls on the market. All of us here at Elk Camp want to welcome the man behind Native by Carlton, Mr. Mark Carlton. Welcome to Elk Camp, Mark. Appreciate it. Welcome in, brother Mark. Glad to be here, man. We're glad to have you, brother. So, I think every one of us got wants some of y'all's products here. I, I was looking right behind me. I got a bugle tube and a call right wow. here that's uh, from you guys. So love y'all's products, brother. <laughs> no, we appreciate it, man. So it's it's whether it's new or old, somebody's usually got something laying around. <laughs> Mine's on my backpack. Joe can tell you. I, I, I'm telling you that thing's like um, it's gold to me. I, he gave me my first one 13 years ago, and uh, it's been with me ever since, brother. And um, it's been on a lot of a lot of neat hunts. And if it could tell stories, man, the stories it could tell—that's for sure. <laughs> and, and I bet you're just chock full of stories, Mark. Man, I mean, like you said, you've been doing this for how long, bud? Well, 40 years, you know, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's been building calls or guiding. Most of my career has ended up being a guide and or cameraman, usually both, it seems like. But it's been a <laughs> That's while. awesome. I'm 47 now, so it's it's been a chunk. We could use a cameraman, Mark. Especially <laughs> <laughs> one that knows how to use his own calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm double edged sword, man, because it's either it's either the guide's fault or the cameraman. So, <laughs> yeah. double duty deal, right? No. Never, never the hunter, never the shooter. That's right? It's that not the right. Indian. It's got to be the bow. That's it. So, tell us about the company. So, introduce yourself and the company to everybody that's listening. So, Native is an offshoot of Wayne Carlton's calls. Wayne Carlton's calls started in '83, right? And we sold it to and merged with Hunter Specialties in 2000. Then kind of had some hiatus time, did, did some different things, ended up at the fire department, but I wanted to come back into the hunting industry for a bit. And so we started doing just more custom stuff, and that turned into be native. And long story, a little bit short, is dad was over at HS. There was a parting of ways there, so then he ended up coming in too, kind of gave him a place to hang his hat for a while. And, and you know, that's kind of where we're sitting now. So it's it's been growing pretty steady. We're kind of at, you know, if we're five years in, we, we kind of got to make some decisions here as far as how we grow, but it's just continuing to pick up steam every year right now. You know, over the years, I, I've seen Native by Carlton, and uh, as it, you know, the things that you do, especially for that, and, you know, I've seen some of the things like some of the, the custom calls with the elk teeth. I've seen some of the uh, external calls that have the different color. I mean, they're art pieces. They're not just calls there's something that man i tell you if i had one it's something that i would pass down from my kid to my kid's kid i mean just incredible yeah, they're heirlooms for yeah. sure, sure. well and, and that was kind of the goal i think we've gotten to a point in the industry where a lot of the ideas are hashed out and beat down to death to where <clears throat> i think it's harder to come up with something new 
and revolutionary, but I think we're at a point that we just need to be building stuff better. That quality needs to be the focus because it's, man, there's just so much stuff of just packaging it up and putting it together. And there are so many companies now that are not private owned anymore that I think a lot of that quality has diminished. Yes, sir. Question I have for you, dude, is, you know, you're at your first elk calling competition at how old? Eight. Eight years old. And That's I cool. mean, you're, you're in that environment. And I've seen this with a lot of people that actually raised on a ranch or something like that, that has incredible elk hunting or any kind of hunting like that, that a lot of times they really don't, they don't know what they have at the time. And oh, yeah. For you growing yeah. up in that. Now, I see you laughing about that. Tell me. No, it's just that, I mean, there's just, I think, youthful ignorance and entitlement that comes with just growing up that, man, I learned so much just by osmosis without even trying, not, not having a clue of who I was with or the people that I was around or who I was getting exposed to. In hindsight, man, like looking back, a, a big piece of our elk side was also the turkey side. So a lot of our connections and people we, right. that we were around, man, they were Rob Keck and Earl Grove and Kenimers and John Brown. They were, they were like the core turkey assassins of the industry at the time, man, that helped like build the NWTF. But all that stuff is crossed over to, to the elk hunting side. Just, you know, that, I mean, it was just, you know, one fed the other. But be, being around all those guys and all those outdoorsmen that weren't just good, they were the best at what they did. That was just my normal deal. So to say I took it for granted is an understatement. Like there was a lot of stuff, man, on the plate there that I just, you know, as a kid, you just think it's always going to be there. You, you just don't realize. So but, was there a point where you wanted to get away from it? Oh, yeah. No, I was completely fried and burned out by my mid-20s. So we had about the time that we were selling, I was rodeoing a bunch, um, had more interest in, do, in doing that. I was still guiding on the side in the falls, starting to shoot horses for a living, just anything to kind of break, break up something different. And that's what that ended up looking like. And, and it's funny because dad was raised southern, right? He, he was raised in Florida and raised by, you know, the guys in the Turkey Federation on that side. Um, because he started the first, so he started the Turkey Federation chapter in Gainesville, Florida before we moved here. So the Turkey Federation started in 73. So he started that like 74, 75. And then wow. we moved to Colorado in 75. So he had made those first contacts and relationships there that followed us throughout his career, um, you know, long-term. And then when he came here in Colorado, he started the first National Wild Turkey Federation chapter in Colorado. Wow. And those relationships just kept on snowballing and snowballing. What part of Colorado are you guys in? We're in Montrose right now. Okay, gotcha. And, and, and I say right now, we've always been in Montrose. Yeah, I've been in Montrose gotcha. the whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I always thought Montrose was the elk capital of the world because that's where Wayne Carlton was, man. You know, right. I'm, it's bizarre, man. We've got so Montrose is unique. We have Wayne Carlton, we have Phil Phillips. I don't you guys remember Phil's name at all? Yeah. So Phil lives here. Um, Tim Strickland that coached gold medal in archery in like '88. Jay Bars, Denise Parker. Um, Tim lives here in town. <laughs> Um, like Ross Reels, I don't know if you guys are into fly fishing and stuff, but like Ross Reels and Scott Fly Rods mm-hmm. is here in Montrose. Gordon Composites, yes. uh, which supplies right. 90% of the bowling material for the entire industry right. is here in Montrose. And it's only, wow. I think, 45,000 people countywide. It's not very big. That's true. But, but hell, everybody's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so if you got burnt out at 20, 
you're back. What happened? I just needed a break. I guess I, I I don't know. It's uh so I actually got away from it for a while. Life gets in the way. Stopped hunting for a couple years, and I had a buddy that had bought a bow at an RMEF banquet, and was like, "Dude, man, hey, I bought this bow. I have no idea what I'm doing. Would you just help me?" And I've got on that, I've got a couple thousand acres over Norwood, and it's got a bunch of elk on it. Man, just just go with me. And so he kind of drove me back into it. And at that time, I picked up a recurve and I had got into shooting trad gear for a while. And that really kind of relit my fire a little bit. And once that kind of started going, then then about that time, you get married and settle down. And your priorities kind of start shifting around a little bit. And that, mm-hmm. that slowly kind of brought me back into the fold. Yeah, because when I, when I talked to you and, and we had that long conversation, it did not seem to me like somebody that had lost the passion. You seemed very passionate about what you do and i that was that was really cool to see yeah no i needed to get a break for a bit i think one thing that i really ran into as a kid and everybody's got you know some issue in the back of their brain mine was always had a pretty big chip on my shoulder about earning it i guess right yep. and there was so much stuff coming at me that was just on a platter that i didn't earn that was truly just a compliment to my father that man i just had to get like out for a bit so that was that was darn sure a lot of it. Very respectable. Yeah. Hats off to you, man. Hats off to yeah, you. Man. Done. Been there, uh, done that, brother. Wore that t-shirt out. So I got. Yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you, brother. So good on you getting out and getting your getting your head screwed on right and and getting back to to your roots. Yeah. Brother. I will say it was financially a terrible decision. <laughs> look, it always is. But, yeah, look, it, it always is. But you know, diamonds are forged out of pressure. So at the end of the day, man, it takes some of that. We got it. You know, I, I listened to Steve Harvey the other day, and he said, "Man, you just you aren't where you are today without failure. You are where you are because you failed. And those guys that aren't, that don't take chances." That are willing to fail, they're never going to be successful because you got to be willing to get punched in the mouth, and and it's not really about you know how how you know how bad you got punched in the mouth, how how quick you can get back up and get punched again, you know. Because yeah, sure. uh, yeah, make sure you tell that to Manano next time we are out there. If I can <laughs> punch him in the mouth every time, punch him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll let you Manano, punch you him in the mouth. You just got to take it and get back up again. That's all you I'll have to you do. Punch it again. Again. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's going to be I good really, for you. I really hope our <laughs> listeners understand that, man. What you are seeing, what you are hearing, this is exactly straight what it's like in the chairs around Elk Camp, man. I mean, yeah. uh, these guys hack on one another ungodly, dude. And the conversation we get to have the depth that we already already got to have with Mark here. This is just just how yeah. it is there. So we appreciate you jumping in with us, Mark. We're excited to have you here tonight. We're going we're real excited and uh, for you sharing some of your expertise as we get into that. And uh and man, when we start going through the rest of the show, jump right in because you're here with us and you're pulled up a chair, man. So uh Absolutely Joe. Let's get this party started and head over to our Elk Bros mailbox, brother. Yeah. Hey Luis, you want to take that first uh letter? We got Mr. Richard Flock from Oregon. Richard? Yeah. So his question is, there are four in our group hunting an Oregon archery elk unit, and we usually break up into groups of two. But one of our group will only be there uh, on weekends. So that will leave us, uh, three of us, hunting together most of the time. With our lack of experience in setups, my partner and I feel two is challenging enough 
I know three can work out, uh, and I was wondering what you'd recommend. Would you have two hunt together and one solo, or have all three hunt together? How would you handle this? Depends on how much you like each other. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It depends on their. You mean it too? Because there might be people. There might be some guys that want to hunt by themselves. You know, I mean, just because you're in three of you together doesn't mean you have to hunt all three together. I'm telling you right now, is with my experience, Joe. If I'm if me and the mafia are in camp together. I'm I'm taking three, right? I just I I enjoy being with them. Uh, I think that we can really strategize things, set up better. I don't know. I just feel like you got a better opportunity having two guys in a flying V, one collar, and uh, getting getting out there and getting it done. But that's me, you know. I, I particularly don't like doing hunting solo, not elk. Yeah. You know, I don't then, mind. Uh, I don't mind. But if I got two guys that are in camp with me, let's go. Yeah, yeah, Let me call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me call and you guys get out front, knock one down, and then we'll switch. You know, I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at. Just, I guess it depends on their skill level too, Joe. See, that's what they're talking about is they're not yeah. confident with being able to do setups in the first place. Well, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you this. If you should be more confident in a partner setup, than you are in a solo setup. Absolutely. Because in a solo setup, man, you got to have so much better grasp of, you know, where is that stop and scan spot? Where am I going to be so I've got the right shooting lanes? What am I going to be so that I make that animal have to find me in a position that I get the best shot? Whereas now with a partner, you know, a good partner that, you know, you're up and they're back behind you, Mm -hmm. you know – you have a whole lot more options as a shooter now because, you know, that partner can pull them by you. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you how do you, hunting solo, how do you make the elk focus behind you? You know, and, and, and that's, that's a many, challenge in itself. We've had as many as four in the set, Joe. We had a cameraman. We had five in a set. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had five in one time. Two, two camera, yeah, exactly. Two Maybe. cameramen and. Yeah. Maybe that's the way. I mean, you know, two and three to me is the sweet spot. Maybe just because that's the way I'm I'm used to doing it within our group. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I agree. I mean, we've we had up to six to two groups there that we had to split at one point, uh, which that was an incredible hunt. But um, yeah. you know, I, I think I think based on what he's asking, if if you know, not knowing any better. I would say your chances based on your, you know, what you're saying, your experiences, you're probably better off going the three together, uh, versus the two and then one solo. Uh, unless it's the first day and you guys are trying to scout and, you know, split and look for different areas. That's and, exactly and, uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. And yep. then also there's a safety factor behind it too. You Mark, know, what do you, Mark, how do you feel about it? You've so the worst I've had is six guys at once. Yeah, just doing film and stuff. But yeah. I, I don't know. I, I need more. I need need more information. If you got two guys on the trigger, I can make that work. I can put one guy Calm. downwind side where they always sneak around and stick one guy up on the left in case yeah. there's the what the happens. other way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it happens occasionally, right? Absolutely. So, sure. I mean, I, I think you can hunt two guys, but three hunting is like usually if I got two other guys with me, I leave my bow in the truck. I call, 
you know. Yeah. I think I think that's it. Somebody's got to pick who <laughs> who's the primary gunner here. No doubt, no doubt has to have that discussion. That, yeah. that pretty much happens with our group at at point. You know, it's generally like when we have three. I'm generally the caller and had the other two guys with me. You know, working it that way. But there's actually times, especially when we're there's doing times when we change calling. roles, Joe. Yeah, when, when we're yeah. doing scenario calling, man, we are in a situation the way we're spread out in our scenario that we have animals come into one, two, or three. You know, just depending yeah. on what we're doing like that. So, you know, I. I think the thing is where your problem is is that you're going into the woods with the guys and never have worked that out. I mean, yeah. you've got to actually work on how you're going to set up, what your goals are in your setup ahead of time yeah. and actually mock do that before you yeah. ever get out there so that you can give you you know, you can give a sign or a symbol or something like we go like this and we know we're in a flying V. We know that I'm on the back end, these guys are going out to the side or we have one directly in front, one going off to the downwind side. Whichever way we're going to work that, that would be our L that we would do like that. But, you know, we give a symbol for it and we get in position and they know that they're going to go out how far they're going to be from each other because we, we've done that now out there. And then that leaves me as a caller, that leaves me the open ability to move back behind them actually and pull those animals into wherever I need them to be. So, yeah. um, I, yeah, and to and to your point, Joe, we've also done it to where, like you said, on the fly, like that that time, uh, Manano killed that one elk in the snow, and then there were some more elk coming, and I already had, you know, killed an elk a uh, few days prior, so you and I swapped roles, and and you kind of came down to kind of try to see if you had an opportunity to to shoot that other elk, right? So I mean, just dynamically. Being able to understand your role and changing roles yeah, is being necessary. able to communicate, man. Being yeah, you kind of adapt quick to what the situation is presenting you. And I don't know if Mark has seen this before, but Luis brings up an incredible point. Is I have found that one of the best times to kill multiple animals <laughs> is after you've put one down on the ground. No doubt. There's been so many times we've had an animal go down, and I don't know if it's the added scent. I don't know if it's all the calling that happened ahead of time. Call five more in. Man, we all yeah, yeah we always have. Very... Have you had that? Yeah, happen? I think there's some synergy there. Yeah. Yeah. There's up for sure. Yeah, we get animals that will come in right on top of you, man. Uh, you can be gutting an animal, and an animal come in on top of you. Yep. you know? We did that last year. Yep. We were gutting my bull, and 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 animals were pouring in there on us, huh, RC? Yep. So, Richard, what we're telling you, man, is is we're good with the three. Shoot, we're good with four. Yeah. But but we yeah. know what we're going to do. So I would tell you, practice that role. But if you have a, conversation. a guy in your group that he wants to hunt solo, then, I mean, you guys are big boys. And, yeah. you know, you always have have say, I want to do this by myself. And the other two take off, man. And you meet at the end of the day. You've seen two different places. You get a little more information. So mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing either, man. It's just all about what fulfills you on the hunt. If you think three is a problem because you guys don't like the way each other smell, then do a split, man. 
And when you're when you're hunting together, I've been with Joe and we got a bull coming, and I'm like, all right, Joe, bull goes right. That's your your shot. Bull goes left. It's mine. And he's arguing me. No, you're going to shoot. I'm like, no, bro, listen to me. Bull goes to the right. You're killing me. Bull goes to the left. I'm killing me. I'm not going to play that game. So we're in the middle of the set. <laughs> the bull's coming. You know what it is? Bull goes right. I'm like, kill him, Joe. He never hesitate. <laughs> you know, I mean, here it is. But you, know, you got to have that discussion. You it's know? pretty good and, when the worst when the worst problem you have is arguing over who's, who's going to kill who's gonna shoot the, you know yeah who's yeah, going to shoot kind of unselfishness so yeah, yeah. and I, I was with brendan a couple years ago and same thing we get this bull working into us and i'm like look man i ain't killing this bull this i'm calling this bull in for you so don't even worry he's like can you kill him i'm like i'm not gonna kill him i'm gonna let you kill him you know so you have to have those conversations but they're conversations to have I have to make a, a a quick comment here because you mentioned the smell, Joe, and and just so you guys know, here we used comes. to here it comes. <laughs> we used to go all three of us, Joe, Manano, and I used to hunt together all the time. Uh, but then we realized Joe has an issue with his piping, and and some of the smells that come out of it is just not they're just not of this world. So kind of last year, Manano and I kind of decided to go just the two of us for a while just to kind of. Make sure that you know. Gag and mag uh, on a gut wagon. Yeah, it just wasn't had, healthy. Had a decent cook in camp, but that doesn't happen, right? You know, decent cook. Well, I think, babies. I think I would have to say is like Mark said. Uh, I'm gonna leave my bow at home. <laughs> you leave your bow at home. Well, I'll take care of the rest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. it's what he said. I, I mean, you. you know, if he's got. Five cameramen and two shooters. Uh, yeah, you know, he's going to be the caller. Yeah, well, he knows his place. It's the same way as these guys that are. I mean, well, especially if you've already knocked one down or something, you know yourself. Exactly, I mean, no sense in, in dragging it. And and you know it must be getting close to the season because even the second question was about hunting partner. <laughs> so Eric, you take that one, man. Yeah, this question yeah. comes from uh, Jason Case from Denver, Colorado. Hey, thanks for listening to the show, Jason. Uh, your question is, how do you make decisions during the hunt when hunting with a partner or partners? When I hunt solo, it's just me, and if I screw up, it doesn't matter. But when I'm with a partner, I worry about making the right decisions. It's no longer just my hunt on the line, and I find myself changing the way I hunt or making decisions differently. Even though I know better, is it just me or do you guys have the same issues? If so, how do you handle it? That's a great question. Um, it is. It is. So, you know, I'm going to take, just take like the first part of your question. How do you make decisions during the hunt when hunting with a partner or partners? Well, the biggest suggestion I would make to you, and I'm just telling you from experience is don't be making decisions you haven't talked about. Before you get out there, you guys need yeah. to be on the same page. So, 100. um, yeah. So like this weekend, I'm heading in up into the Gila to start hauling all my water. And, uh, and the guy that I got a new partner, he's never bow hunted before. Um, so it's a lot of coaching. We've been getting together. I mean, it's, we're not going in there blind, but these are opportunities for me to, we're going to coach around, um, scenarios, calling, setups hand signals, really talk through all this stuff to make sure that we're always on the same page. Now, one of the things I will say is um, 
You know, when you, I made the mistake years ago because I'm really type A guy, man. It was like my way or the highway. And when I hunted with guys and I just, man, I just didn't know how to pull the throttle back. And if somebody made a mistake, I'm the one doing all the, I'd get so upset and now, then I wouldn't talk to him. You know, it was just, it was just me being childish and stupid, you know. And so what I learned is that, you know what, it, it's our hunt. And, uh, I just learned that, you know what? I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to, we're, I'm okay with it. Don't worry about making them. If you're going to, if you're worried about making a mistake, you're going to be hesitant. You're not going to do the things you need to do, but just try to be on the same page, but really exercise a lot of grace, man. We only get this chance to go out once a year, enjoy each other's company. I mean, you should know your guy before you go out there. Hopefully it's not somebody you've never hunted with, but it's somebody. Yeah. And just, you know, have that agreement. Like, Hey, if I make a mistake, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, or if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. I'm not going to beat you up on. We'll have a discussion to see, like, okay, what do we do wrong here? How do we fix it the next time? Yep. I'll own up to because I made many mistakes. I've cost people bulls. They've cost me killing bulls. But yep. you know, I don't. But in terms of tactics and things like that, that does not change. All the stuff stays the same when I'm working animals or I got, I've got a, you know, somebody in front of me that I'm calling for whatever. I don't change because I'm worried about, I'm not worried about what they're going to think or whatever. I'm more worried about like, what's that bull telling me? What's he doing? What's the time? I'm reading the the situation and I'm going to do the best I can. And sometimes it works out. Hey, sometimes it doesn't. That's just hunting. So yeah, sometimes you got to make decisions on the fly. You know, yeah, all and, the time. And I, I, I think like you said, Eric, when you have a guy that you're hunting with, um, it happened to us this year. I was like honored that RC Knox would give me the opportunity to set up a hunt, right? Yeah. And we're going to go hunt your plan. I'm like, holy crap. I got the legend on my back. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be sure. setting up the hunt. Holy crap. Now, I, you know, he's watching every, I mean, he's guided more hunters and seen more bulls take. So I felt a lot of that pressure, right? But, he was so gracious in allowing me to screw things up or do whatever I needed to do. Never said a word about it and backed every play I made to the hilt. Right. And I, I couldn't ask for anything better. Like it was, uh, it was amazing. We play, we, I set up um, half the night planning routes and which way we were going to go and all of these things with the wind position, you, you name it. I spent a lot of agonizing time figuring these things out and he was never second guess. I like that plan. Let's go execute it. And you know, it ended up, it, it worked, it worked out, but you have to be on the same page. And when you got guys that aren't on the same page with you, it'll make you pull your hair out, man. It, 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 it really will. It'll make you pull your hair out and want to punch somebody right in the eye. You know, it, it's so important for you to guys to have conversations all the time. And then, and then go execute, right? And have think, a guy that's the point guy, right? Have the guy that's, yeah. that's the point guy, you know? I think, I think, you know, in my short experience, um, you know, I, I think it's important that the person that you're hunting with, um, you know, preferably when you're picking a partner, make sure you under, you know, that person's heart. And, and, and intentions. I think, um, understanding people's intentions, um, like, you know, obviously good intentions uh, makes a world of difference because when we do make mistakes, there's an underlying understanding that 
the intention was positive. It was the good faith. Yeah. yeah, it was mm-hmm. good faith, right? So that makes everything a lot more manageable and, and, and easier to handle. And, and look, I can, I know we've told this story before, uh, when, when Chav got sick a couple of years back and, and, you know, Joe's like, you know, you go ahead and take the guys out and, uh, go hunting. And I just, I just feel so insecure and so nervous <laughs> about that. It, it was just crazy, yeah, right? But you killed but, it. Well, but you know, the, the, what made a difference was the way both Manano and Brandon, um, you know, kind of where about it and how they supported me too and how we worked as a team. And, you know, I was open to listening to their ideas and we were kind of gathering every once in a while, having a conversation. What do you guys think? Should we go this way? Should we go that way? How about we go by this kill? And, and we had an awesome time, right? But it's just opening yourself up to look, make your, your, make yourself vulnerable. You you don't have to be the leader out there and, you know, don't expect yourself to like, you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Like Eric said, you know, enjoy the hunt, you know, let the other people understand what your intentions are and make sure that they know that you want them to succeed and, uh, and you support each other out, man, have fun and learn because what, at the end of the day, Every time you make a mistake, it's going to be a new strike and a learning moment. So, And, you know, when I take a guy out, the last thing I want him to do is I don't want him to feel pressure from me thinking, right, man, I'm I'm worried about what he's going to say or think about what I did. No, man, then then your mind's not in the hunt. I want you to – I want to do everything I can to build your confidence like – Man, don't worry. It, it, you know, I just want you to, it's like if I, if I'm, when, anytime I'm coaching it, uh, when I was coaching kids and stuff like that, I didn't want them worried about, oh man, if I make a mistake, my coach is going to just, yeah. Oh, I want that kid to, I want that kid fail to be, fast. fail fast. Be, be, I want that kid to be confident. Like I yeah. can do this, you know, and yeah, if you make a mistake, Hey, that's cool. This is maybe we do something a little bit different, but you know what? You got this. Let's go, let's go back out and let's try something else. And I'm going I'm to give just a little bit different viewpoint. Because sure. I, I see things on one side from all the years of guiding as well on there. Absolutely. And that, you know, uh, when you're out with a partner, number one, you know, um, it depends on the level of your skill sets. Sometimes. Agreed. You know? Agreed. So yeah. somebody might naturally be that person that's on point Leader. because yeah. of the skill right. set, right? Um, mm-hmm. So play to your skill set. Now, that doesn't always mean it that way because, you know, for example, last year, you know, it was a big goal of me, of mine, for my coaches to step up, right? So, like, when I went out with Luis and Manano, I was like, you know, Luis looks at me to be out there leading. the, And I'm like, no, man, go. It's yours. You do it. Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of like. That was super weird, man. I know how you feel. But I, I think where it comes from is, and what what this guy might, what Jason might be talking about is, is like, for me, um, if I have somebody or a couple of somebody's with me, and if I was by myself and that bull goes off down in, in the bottom, you know, and, and it's nasty, I'm going, right? Yeah. And if it blows up and then I hear one up at the top, I'm going. If that blows yeah. up and I, I'm going, well, not everybody can do that. And by myself, I wouldn't worry about it because I'm going to do the things that have been making me successful all these mm-hmm. years. And what starts to happen is, is people that are like that, that will – you know, they start to doubt, well, can this guy take it, you know, or if, 
you're not hearing anything, you know, you start to feel their disappointment or, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so you might, you might doubt yourself and what you're doing because of the responses of the person that you're with, both physically and mentally. And so all I can tell you to that is, is I had to tell myself at one point. Now, when I'm guiding, it's different because it doesn't matter if I get to the elk first, if my hunter doesn't, right? <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I learned yeah. that years ago. I, it's all about I've got to get them there. So, but when I am on my when when I'm oh I'm going to die here. <laughs> when I'm with a partner and, and that par- partner is committed to hunting with me the way I hunt, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, there's always like when me and Gilbert are together, there's got to be adjustments that are there. You know, when me and Chavez, there's got to be adjustments. But as far as your mentality, you have to make the same decisions that have been making you successful all this time. Yeah, I right? agree. So if yeah. that means that you got to dive off and it blows up. And it doesn't happen. Well, that's what happens, man. Yeah. And and it's yeah. because of the moves and the decisions that you make that you've been successful. So you 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 can't alter them because you're worried about how the other person thinks. You know, especially if you have that confidence level and you felt good hunting solo. Sometimes you got to act like you're still solo, but yep. now you have the benefit of a partner, and they're going to learn from you in that process. But you got to communicate, like everybody has talked about. Bottom line is always communication. I always try to coach guys up. You know, yeah, I want them correct. to know what's in my head. I want yeah. them to know where we're going to go before we get there. What's going to be our roles once we get there, right? You got to so, be coachable. Yeah. And, and, and look, you're going to screw up, man. I mean, I blow things up. Yeah. I've been hunting these yeah. critters for this is going to be my 40th season. And they, mm-hmm. all, I mean, they're elk and it's yeah. elk hunting. It's not always, most of the time it's not going your way. It ain't scripted. <laughs> I think, I think one of the things that I would say that you need to have a conversation with this person that they're talking about hunting with mm-hmm. and see what their ethics are. Mm-hmm. See what, you know, well, would you actually take that shot or would you do this or do that? And that could be a, a big turning point there as far as whether you want to hunt with him or not. You know, you know what though, RC on that? I think sometimes it's better to not ask them, but to express your view. Uh, mm. because, you know, there's some people that don't know any better and they're like, mm. well, heck yeah. I'd take right. But when they, right. when you mm-hmm. tell them to me, you know, that's just not a risk. Yeah. That's marginal. And why you actually right. teach them something. It's a learning moment, sure. right? Instead right. of. Now, if if that person is like somebody that you guys know that, and he's still flinging arrows at an animal moving at 90 yards or 80 yards and, and not caring because all they want to do is put an animal in an arrow, I definitely don't want to hunt with that person. I've just always been with a head coach, you know, and I come from a coaching background. And when your head coach tells you this is the play you're going to run, you go run the play, right, and you execute it. And at the end, there's really no deviation from that other than when you come back and say, hey, they're blitzing five right now. We need to do something different here, right? I mean, it has to be communicated, right? Um, at, at the end of the day, I think it's all about communication and how well you can read one another in scenarios. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I think you guys are way too nice. <laughs> Oh, look at that. Uh, look at these guys. For adjusting your hunting partner when he got out of line. Man. <laughs> 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 
Perfect. Oh, man. Perfect. <laughs> I, I grew up. Wayne had a look. Like, it, it was legendary. With, with the camera. So does Joe. With, so with every, and he had a look. And, and if you broke a limb, he'd give you the look. And he, he'd give you two fingers. And then he'd point to his grunt tube saying, if you broke another one, the, the grunt, grunt tube was coming off. Yeah, that, was, that was it. That was, and he was legendary, man. All the cameramen would come back to like, he gave me this look. And I don't, I don't know what it meant, but I don't like it. Yeah. And that was. That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that sounds like Carl Gamage to me. Yes, sir. You talk about being type A, man. It was get the job done comically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it, man. That's sweet, it. dude. There's something Absolutely. to be something to be said for sure about relationships up in the mountain, uh, communication, yeah. understanding each other, and having differences because they they will take place. And oh, yeah. especially you know when you get to that hump day when the mountain has wore you out, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're cold, uh, yeah. you know you know <laughs> things you know it, it changes your state of mind for sure. And so you really. You know, you really have to get to know each other and, and you really get to know the true each other. And, uh, so yeah, yeah, a lot of patience and there's got to be a lot of underlying communication there. It was a great question, Jason. Hey, I was going to add one last thing though, and I don't know how you guys would handle this, but I had a situation with my hunting partner and he came from out of state and, uh, you know, we were, we we're on like a nine day, 10 day hunt and, uh, I was, trying hard to get him on a bull, missed a couple shots and just, but we got down to the end and we really didn't talk about, it, but I, I'm like an equal opportunity, uh, killer. Yeah. I'll kill what's right in front of me. Right. Well, this was like, we're on the second to last day of the hunt. We'd been on this big herd, didn't have an opportunity for him. So we were taking the break in the bottom of a Canyon and I sat down and I heard something coming. I look over and I had this cow and she's getting ready to walk about. 10 feet in front of me had a big tree in front of me. I picked up my bow and I whacked her shot her killed her and we were way back yeah nice deal problem was I ended his hunt because it took us that day that afternoon and the whole next day to pack that animal out pack our spike camp out and I you know I, I could tell that it kind of upset him a bit you know but we didn't have that discussion prior to going in there like hey how would you know I might have done it a little bit different, but man, I just couldn't pass it up. But we didn't talk about it, but it caused a little bit of stress there. So you might want to have that discussion too. What are you guys hunting for? I mean, hey, if if, if this situation presented, how would you feel about this? So we were on the same page and it kind of caused a rift between us a little bit just because we never communicated that piece to it. So. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Oh, it's no. time oh, for the Elk Bros oh, shout-out. Shout-out! to our show. This is a shout-out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yeah, buddy. And first up, a special Elk Bros thanks to all. Uh, last time on the last show, I was like, where's the love? Man, we hadn't right. gotten any reviews, right? Dude. Reviews came in, man. So I just want to thank those people that left those incredible reviews. Wow. And thank you for the love, man. John Child, who says he loves the cash calling episodes. He's like, game and fish better get ready, man, because there's going to be some people taking things out. And uh, Steve at Drifter Trailer said the show makes him feel like he's sitting around with old friends. And Steve, if that is what's happening, then we've We've checked that box. That's exactly what we want, man. Tim from St. Marie's, Idaho says it's nice to hear from people with his budget. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad you have a budget, bro. Mine's like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he said he'd like for us to cover backpacks at some point, you know, so, 
Yeah, see? And, and I can see where that's something to talk about, man, because, I mean, backpacks mm-hmm. range anything from 700 bucks down to 80 bucks, and what works, what doesn't. And so I, it'd be a good topic, man. And Randy mm-hmm. SF, I want to thank you. Ed Morris out of Louisville, Kentucky. Ed is always, Ed's a great individual. We've uh, heard from him before. He says, that, and that's just it, he listens a lot and comes back and says that we're not stale or repetitive. That's awesome. Vinnie Farrell up at uh, Puyallup, Washington, said episode 65 with Doc Ward. Man, that episode has sailed, y'all. I mean, he said it was yeah. five stars. So uh, was thank awesome. you guys for that. And now for the top listening city. It's known for its Cajun and Creole culture in 1959. This week's top listening city was declared as the crawfish capital of the world and is home of the world-famous Crawfish Festival every May, where thousands converge on this little city to pay homage to Louisiana's famous crustacean. And, guys, it's more than just a good time for the whole family because this event that they do, um, it raises money through their ticket, their food, their event sales. And the whole idea is to promote Cajun culture and crawfish farmers around the area. And this event has raised over $1.3 million to date for their civic organizations, city improvements, and has funded local high school um, scholarships, man. So uh, a big thank you, a big hats off to, and I'm going to say, Bro Bridge, Louisiana. You got it, man. Nailed it. Brobridge, Louisiana. Been there. Beautiful town. Great people, man. The culture there is awesome. And the food is off the chain, man. (laughs) Shout out to all your bars over there. Tommy Bro, man. I mean, Tommy Bro. Yeah. He's from out, out around Port, uh, Port Vincent there, not far from Brobridge. So yeah, Tommy Bro. Shout out to them guys, our, our Cajun, our Cajun brothers over there for sure. Joe, the next top listening city is located on the beautiful Lemon Weir River in central Wisconsin. According to Indian folklore, the area was used as a winter location for hunting and trapping. It's also home to actor Kurtwood Smith with famous roles in RoboCop, Rambo 3, That 70s Show, and many, many others. But if you're looking for family fun... Go hit the Three Bears Resort, a 60,000-square-foot indoor-outdoor water park in New Lisbon, Wisconsin. New Lisbon, Wisconsin. This next one up, uh, once known as a village, this top-listening city was officially incorporated in 1955 and began its rich history as an area steeped in Indian folklore. Cattle, ranching, lumber, and agriculture. Also famous for its beautiful landscape and a number of lakes that were formed due to glacial flooding. Flooding. <laughs> you would never know that this location is rich in history. Uh, was also known in 2018 as the home of the world's top-ranked pickle player, Tyson McGuffin. And none other than Hayden, Idaho. Hayden, Idaho. Pickle player. Pickleball. Pickleball. Dang it, Joe. I got this steeped in there really good and full floor. And then I just, on the flooding, I don't know what happened, man. It's all right, man. That's that Venezuelan blood, brother. We love love you, man. Almost, man. You're lucky lucky there was no beaches in there. Yeah, no no sunny beaches. We don't want that. But of all the things you could talk about in Hayden, Aiden, Idaho, you a would think you'd player. be a pickle player, right? Pickle you know? player. Look out. Look out, Tyson McGuffin. 
<laughs> He's Harry. bringing it. All right. So last but not least, uh, our top next listening city is a city that's known as Georgia's Music City. So it's home to big, big artists like Little Richard, Otis Redding, man, the, Bay. the Almond Brothers. And our big country boy Jason Aldean, who loves the hunt, right. and it's got yeah. it's got a lot of music clubs. It's got tons of venues for that. Just a wonderful place. The city actually has over ten thousand Japanese uh, cherry trees, and they got a two week event there. It's a cherry blossom festival, and it draws thousands of people. So it's got a city auditorium that's home to one of the largest copper domes in the world at like 15,000 square feet. But uh here's a big Elk Bro shout out to Macon, Georgia. So Macon. welcome Macon, to Georgia in the house. We got some southeast blood showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been there? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just in Georgia last year, man. Just went through Macon last year on my way to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh yeah, for some softball. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Hey, Eric, you know you're not supposed to you're supposed just to read what they give you here. You, I mean, you don't have to go above and beyond and just find other stuff that it's not even, you know, in the script. Man, that's no, man. That makes I, us all look bad. You know no, what I mean? Man, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's Eric, dude. He's a classic overachiever and we love him, man. There you go. Oh, I actually find that awesome that you go Absolutely. in and actually add your own spice to it. You find more yeah. stuff on the city that's assigned to you. Very cool. Mark, do you want to yeah. give a shout out to your hometown, bro? No. Montreux? <laughs> kind of covered it, man. It's, we're going liberal, man. It's been hard here lately. I don't know what to <laughs> We're good. California has moved in. Oh, oh, we're good, man. I'm, I, Montreux is still a cool place. We got a lot of, lot of good stuff going on. Like we said, there's a ton of people here and a lot of the hunting industry that's still here. And it's awesome. That's sweet. Wait, I like Mark. So I let's, you ever, get up, you ever get up to Delta? <laughs> Oh yeah, I was in there this morning shooting horses. Oh cool! I got a buddy that lives there. It's got a like eighty acre ranch there. Dude, Zach Martinez. No friends, man. Quit lying. No He's the only one I got, but he moved away from me. So that <laughs> <up too. laughs> All right, so let's jump into the content, man. Elk call and calling because uh, we got a chance here, Mark. That uh, man with you here. Uh, it was really some things with you being in the industry that I think there's so much about these. These things, you know, that everybody is buying and purchasing and in their mouth, and they really a lot of times don't even know what, why, or how. I mean, it's like, you know, okay, because I see this person use this, or this one has a nice color on it, or this one says it calls in bulls. I'm going to get that. So what advice do you give to folks, guys, that on selecting a call that works for them? Well, it's going to come down to – it still comes down to whatever a guy can pick up and be proficient with, like right out of the gate. I think we've got enough choices today that I think that's really possible. You know, I, I think we've got small frames. We've got medium frames. We've got large frames. Um, I think there's some interesting crossover with most of the turkey reeds are built on one specific frame that comes up out of Pennsylvania um, that a third-party guy just built supplies for, but I would say – 90% of our turkey calls are built on that frame that are more of a large frame on an elk call, but on a, on a, in the turkey world, that's just their standard deal. Right. So like a lot of guys come out and they'll, they'll start going to the smaller frame stuff. And they're like, you know, they have fit concerns with that. And I don't think it's a fit. I, I really don't, man. I, I don't. So your mouth is still a sound chamber. It still holds back pressure. When you put air to it, 
it's still the way the roof of your mouth is shaped still affects how well you can or cannot call. So I do think fit's super important. Um, but I think you get used to a certain size. I think you get used to a large one or a medium one or a small one. And even me building, if I'm building on large, man, I'm, I'm like, ah, man, how do I ever put these things down? These, these things are great. And yeah. then I get, I'll get off those and I'll start be, you know, I'll start building small frames and it'll be the same thing. It'd be like, man, these, these are great. These, you know, I would rather have them large myself, Mark, and be able to trim them or whatever, right? If, if I need to, if it's too small, then, then I have problems with it not getting the right back pressure and getting the right yeah. air. But if I, if it's big, I can always trim it up and get, get it to where I want it to be. You know, yeah. I don't have to do that much anymore, but, um, because I think calls are built on different frames. Like you're talking about when you look at, they the, are, there's, there's so many options there. And I think, you know, I think the Turkey guys, and you got to remember a lot of the guys coming out learning they're Turkey guys. We got 6 million Turkey hunters, right? Yeah. You got a lot more turkey hunters. We have elk hunters. No so doubt. those guys are coming out trying to grab stuff and be proficient with it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't think they're aware of just how much stuff's going on on the elk I, side. And thank God we can have more on the turkey side. That's fine with me. Yeah, keep pushing them <laughs> to them, to them dang thunder chickens. <laughs> That's right. One thing I found about frame sizes is is this as well is that most people there are a lot of people out there that go into elk hunting that have never bought a diaphragm that generally are going to get probably a medium size um, uh, frame. And what happens with that a lot of times is, and it depends, all the pallets, there's a lot of variables, but generally what I find happens from the guys I work with is they get that medium frame up in higher in their pallet because it's going to go in higher and actually it's more more forward than it should because yeah. it is a little bit smaller, so it's going to go forward. So then when they get a larger frame, and and when we say larger, it's only going to be an eighth of an inch. I mean, it's like yeah. a sixth on each side, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's just that little bit that what happens is they're trying to put the placement where they have that other one, and it really isn't going to work for them. They have to just bring it back behind that eye teeth a little bit more and in order to get that to get that feel that they need to so uh and and now one thing i feel about too mark is is this is the more latex you have so the wider it is the more latex you're going to have that's the the area between the frame right and yeah. the more you have the better control you have i mean the less latex you have i think the more limited you are in control How, i don't know I, you feel that way? I agree so this is the way i look at it. i think a, a big frame guys that are super proficient can put a little bit more i'm going to call it english on yeah i think put a little bit more technique on it i think the small frames i think um, they're screwed. great for what they do but I think they run like, I think they're like meat cleavers. I think they just pound through the notes. But it's the same yeah. thing over and over and over again to where I think you have a little bit more variable with a double read or a triple read. I, I, I think you have some more dexterity there. But the, mm-hmm. the small frames also, I think, give you things that the big frames don't. I think they give you more volume, and I think the control is a little bit better, especially for guys starting out. Yeah. But, I mean, frame-wise, like, I don't know if you guys can see that or not. Yeah. You can see the difference on. Oh yeah, big oh, yeah. difference. Large versus small, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now the, the medium's a lot harder to tell in between there, right? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. I mean, the small so. is really evident because that's a that's a real tight fit. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really going to go in there. So, um, but but do a favor for me because here's where I think people are lacking is understanding the whole thing about latex thickness and stretch. Yep. So the first, and I always love this story going back and talking about it. I think it really paints a picture just how fanatic hunters are. So the first diaphragm my dad ever saw as a kid was his uncle, and my dad was in his teens. His uncle was sitting in the house making turkey sounds out of his mouth, which nobody was doing at the time. And I'm sure it was, you know, just a, a thing that was passed down of, of, of how we did it. And I think it probably came from, like, a tube call with latex before the diaphragm came along. But, but the first diaphragm he ever saw was a lead top to a toothpaste tube that they had chopped out with a pair of tin snips, a, a condom that they'd stretched out across it, and a piece of duct tape. <laughs> and Dad assures me it was not a used condom. Used one. <laughs> you know. He's sticking to that story. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was the first diaphragm he had ever saw, you know. So it's come a, along different ways, but but prophylactic. So And I, and I laugh at this, too. Everybody looks at ingredients on turkey calls and now they just call it prof nobody's aware yeah, what, no, prophylactic. what prof is it's, it's prophylactic it's still right. condom right. so and, and a lot of competition reads especially on the turkey side is still built out of prof it has a oof do I dare say it has a nice wet organic sound to it right this show is going to go through the roof y'all welcome <laughs> but the uh, I think on the elk side, I still like we sold that double blue reed like by the gazillions, and that was made out of a, a thin, so thin being point zero two five is what we call it. But like if you write out, it's point zero zero two five. That being the thinner end of it versus thick would be point zero zero five. So when you're looking at the ingredients from manufacturers, that's what you're looking at: thin to thick. Now, thin doesn't last as well. It's thin. It doesn't hold up near as good. It breaks down sooner um, versus the that thicker will hold up a lot better. Like like people still buy just straight triple reads from us all the time just because of durability. They can buy one and they can kill it all season long just yeah. because it's got three layers to it. Yeah. You know, but I still they last longer. Talk about yep. that. You won't bugle one out in an afternoon. No. No, you you can stand on them. Yeah, for sure. they'll hold up. So, grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve, so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see. You can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control. 
those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you backwards through each step and level allowing you to see visualize understand and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead the next step the next thought process the next success because y'all you've already been there you know what it looks like by tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text visuals audio as well as video and base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet so if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year invest in the most important piece of equipment there is you and your elk hunting knowledge you can find the blue collar elk hunting academy and the base camp training camp at elkbros.com that's e-l-k-b-r-o-s dot com keep dreaming of the screaming believing in achieving and most of all keep grinding what about the stretch as far as i mean so on the small frame and it's funny because a lot of people like we're building we just now got into the small frame game a couple years ago so we're really good at the big frame stuff and everybody has been very much like man we we don't like so-and-so's brand because of this being small frame they don't hold up as well and and i don't think that's fair to them what i've learned in building large and small frame stuff there's not near as much stretch that goes into a small frame so as soon as your saliva hits that yeah, and it starts softening up. It loses tension, so it it just quits performing as well faster. Yeah. Versus, and I, I use the analogy like on a scale of one to hundred, and I could even show you like a call press. That's literally we got a little dial, a little meter, and that's how we pull tension on it. But on a small frame, on a scale of one to hundred, I'll pull it at thirty. On the small frame, on the big frame, I'll pull it at ninety, if not a hundred. Yeah. So there's literally three relative. It's I mean, relative, it's, yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. So I don't, you know, that's something to know about the small frames. They're not wearing out. They're, they're just getting wet and soggy. They're just not performing as well. Yeah. So, right. and that's, as long as they're dry, they run like a top generally. And then as they, but you, they, can, you go you on. Can, you can take a, a thickness of latex and you can do a loose stretch or a tight stretch and get a different sound. Yeah. You can get a different performance out of it. And like I stretch my big frames tight as a drum, like they're, they run a little on the ragged side, but I like that. But I mean, hell, I've run a call forever. Um, yeah. versus I think if you don't put quite as much stretch, they're a little bit easier to control. They're a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. So if uh, a looser stretch is easier to control? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For the, for the newcomer, is yep. that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So because now, you know, a lot of people are doing, um, some of the, the call places are, are giving charts that are showing, you know, thickness and stretch on that. And they need to, yeah. yeah. That's kind of a, a better gauge for, you know, for people that, that are from beginners to, and, and you can actually take a tighter stretch, a thicker latex, and it, you know, it's not going to be a good cow call coming out because it's, it's going to be difficult for you to control that. Whereas, you know, if you had that thinner latex that you were talking about before, it's going to be a whole lot more flexible. It's going to be easier to do cow calls coming right out the gate. But you go start yelling some bugles and screaming on that thing, you're going to wear it out. out wear it out, right? So. Yep. That's one of the points I'm trying to get across to people is that, you know, there's some people that will buy a diaphragm call and they'll throw it in their mouth. And the first thing they try to do is 
cow call <laughs> with it when it's a thick latex. And, and then, and they're like, oh man, I can't even get a sound out of this. It doesn't work very good. Well, it's, it's number one, it's not designed for that coming out that way. It's a little bit tougher on the control, but you get on that thing and crank a few bugles. Yeah. After you get some bugles on it and, and you start cranking on it, it starts to get a little bit of a break in period, which is basically the latex stretching, Mm. right? Loosens it up a little bit and And it can become an all around call for you. Oh yeah. And one thing I recommend to guys is like, if you find that call that you like, um, I, I like to run two or three of them and have them to a point where I'm not going to continually, you know, get hot on one. What I mean by hot is just all that saliva and all that heat in my mouth all day long working that, you know, I'll work as soon as I start to feel it's starting to get a little hot, I'll switch it to the other one. So it gets a rest. Yeah. Joe, Joe, Joe likes to use other people's calls too. (laughs) (laughs) After the news. Hey, yeah, he likes wet. He likes amused. So, and I think there's a couple other like inside <laughs> stuff too that that guys need to know. When you're buying stuff on the store shelf, so latex is still latex. Like, there's a reason condoms are packaged in the dark. It's because the fluorescent light breaks them down and they start to deteriorate. Yeah, they so, as soon as you put it in your mouth, yeah. it starts breaking down. Chapstick tears it up. Copenhagen, man, I love you guys. You guys are job security. Yeah, um, keep that is, yeah. I mean, it's stuff tears down and and they don't do as well. Um, Look, I gotta tell you, I, I I keep one in my mouth all day. I mean, when I'm elk hunting, there's a I don't know. It's kind of like a pacifier for me. It stays just about in it all day. And I've got a a little reed deal that goes on my hat now and. Half the time, I just keep it in my mouth. So I break it down sooner than it needs to break down. That's one of the reasons that we've gone to things like this. You know, now, now we're able to do that and it's able to keep those inside, let them get dry without it being there. And, you know, and, and I'm like you, Gilbert, I have one that I'm not worried about it breaking up because I want something in my mouth in case something happens. And it also, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of like my dog, man. I, you know, I, I, it's a security thing. I just got to have something that I'm doing with my mouth in there. Well, I quit dipping 20 years ago, 21, (laughs) 21 years ago. And man, I got to have, when I'm fishing, I got fishing line in my mouth, right? I'll, I'll chew on it. If I'm hunting, I'm going to have, you know, a call from elk hunting. I'm going to have a call in my mouth. So, um, I don't know. It's just kind of how I I do things, but I like the thicker latexes because I am hard on them, you know. Yeah, and, and so, most guys are. Um, I think something too is, and I think as manufacturers, we've got as many variables out of the equation as we can to keep the product consistent. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, if I build if I build twenty diaphragms, there's still going to be three or four that run like a freaking jet. Yeah. And then there's going to be a couple that go in the damn trash can. Yeah, and there's some variability. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what I build from open read calls to mylar to building wood turkey calls to building diaphragms, there's, there is some variable and, and it's hard to, and I even, you know, I'm going to go after the elk calling championship world a, a little bit too. Man, we'll build 300 diaphragms and we'll take 10. Yeah. Like I, I kid you not. I mean, you know, you may buy the super duper jet kill them all elk call, but don't kid yourself, man. I mean, we're call manufacturers. We build those things out as good as we can. When we go to Worlds, man, that that is the best that we can run. I, mean, I think Manano has been getting the duds. 
<laughs> let, me, let me ask you something, Mark. Do y'all do y'all actually test them before y'all put them packaged or not? Yeah. Really? So have you noticed it tastes like bacon? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Oh my <laughs> No, we uh, you might want to let you. You might want. You might want to let your Muslim people know that before. You've been, wait, you've just been waiting to be able to use that tonight, haven't you? Oh, no, <laughs> no, the. Um, I will say this: like when we're building, I always got to call my mouth. I'll I'll check tensions because the variables. Like when, when you buy latex, pour going too crazy on latex. Yeah. But the, the way that they make latex, they basically pour it out on a cookie sheet. They peel it off. They pour another one. They peel it off. Well, by the time you get to the 4,000th time they've done that, that thickness changes. I and mean, it's microscopic, but it changes. So we try to stay on top of our thicknesses, and, and we try to mic it, and we try to make sure whatever we're building, if we got to change something on the call press, so we'll, we'll change it. But that means we always build calls as we go. Yeah. And we're running a call at the same time that we're, we're, we're running that call press just to make sure – Everything's in check because of that variable of, you know, one in 10, one's going to be a jet, one's going to be a dud. So, you, yeah. you know, we try to keep that variable as much as we can and, and try to control. Um, as, as a new caller, uh, as a guy starting out, you know, based on what I'm hearing as far as, you know, easiness to manipulate the call or make good sounds out of it, uh, would it be fair to say, hey, if you're new and you're learning, just, you know, advisable to go with a smaller frame and maybe with a thinner latex to begin with and just try I it think, that way? Um, it, it's interesting. I looked at I looked at back in the years of, like, even the calling contest stuff where guys are just at their best at calling. And some of those guys, I'm still building some competition reads for a bunch of guys working for different companies still. But... I'm amazed at the dynamics of some of them can run the small stuff and they're like, man, this is, wish we had this 20 years ago versus mm-hmm. some guys that they can't run it to save their life. So there's still some variable, but I think that medium frame, I, I, I honestly think what, what a guy should do is he should go to the storefront and buy one, two, three, small, medium, and large of the best selling, most popular reads and just put it in his mouth, see what's comfortable and start there. Yeah. Because I think you can shift that thing further forward and figure out how to run. I think you can shift the yeah. small one back and figure yeah. out how to run it. It's kind of like speaking of bow, you you pick, you, you yeah. pick the yeah. one you got the best grip with, or it, yep. same with a handgun. You know, whatever feels more comfortable with your grip and your hand yep. is something yeah. similar. I, I, I don't I'm a Hoyt guy. You know, you know, if I'm going to shoot a compound, I've yeah. I've had a bunch of them in my hand, I, and I my rotator cuff just now quit. I had to quit my trad gear, and I went back the wheels here a couple of weeks well, ago. Yeah. But the Man, problem- I, I bought a Hoyt. Off eBay and put it together. It's like, ah, oh, it feels so good. It's just. But the problem is, Luis, uh, a bow has a grip on it, so you know where to grip it. With a diaphragm, some of these guys go to put it up in the roof of their mouth, and they put it too far forward. No, fair enough. But, I mean, the, the analogy is that it. you can also grip the bow wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. Um, you almost got to be. You know, I mean, you can grip it. Well, if you know, you might turn it upside down it. and pull it with no arrow in it no. and let it go off and blow up. For example, you know, this is kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Mark. So I had a guy the other day that he's really struggled getting a sound out of a call. And what he was doing was he was taking your call and he was taking and putting the metal right behind his front teeth. Yeah. And, and you're 
so almost like you would put grass. Can you make a sound like right? that? Oh, uh huh. No, well, right. You get a buzz. And he's getting a sound that way, just trying to blow wow. over the diaphragm because he didn't know how to put that. Now, I, like I said, I see a lot of guys that end up putting them too far forward or they end up putting them too far back. Whereas, you know, uh, I'm kind yeah, of yeah. almost, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Does that work? Yeah. It's right, right behind your incisors on yeah. a large frame right versus that small frame going to fall. Like even on me, I, I bet that small frame runs hell half Further an inch back. back. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. For sure. There you yeah. go. So I think, you know, when you're talking about, I think a lot of people are comfortable with that mid frame. And Mark and I had this discussion a long time ago. I don't even know if he remembered it because his frames were the large frame. And I was like, buddy, are you going to run a mid frame? I mean, I, that was the conversation. Well, and now, um, Carlton calls are, you guys are running. In fact, y'all got a lot of stuff that's coming out here in the future that's going to be pretty. Yeah, dark. we're doing a full a full revamp right now on everything. Yeah. Really? Yeah. When, will they, when will they get the market, Mark? I'm hoping to have hard samples in hand here in a couple of weeks. Oh, on. sweet. I, I think all the prototypes have been done, all the 3D prints, all the mockings have been done. Um, I, I'm hoping to have those in hand pretty quick, actually. So it's. We took what we did on the large frame. We took all the bad feedback that I could get from people, which, man, I, I found it's hard to get people to tell you you suck at stuff. Like, n- nobody wants to be confrontational about uh, it. Dude, I'm good but, at that. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I tell them I, tell them, I know every day. Luis makes We've taken all that wrong, feedback. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We kind of listened to everybody and went back to the drawing board on some stuff and tried to improve where we were. And then added some stuff to it. I'm, I'm honestly super excited about what we got coming, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to have some, some stuff in hand by hunting season. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Mark, quick question. Uh, so when we talk about frames, you know, the frames, the, the three different sizes you kind of, uh, guys work with, um, have to do a lot with the kind of the, the shape and width of your palette, right? Yep. How about how about the the height of the roof of your mouth? Is that something that comes into play? Something that is thought about when engineering these well, I think uh, diaphragms? It's huge. I think it's huge because I think that's what builds up that back pressure yeah. in your mouth. And uh-huh. and ironically, if you, if like back in the day, um, when before we started, so the whole dome over deal, in all honesty, needs to give credit to Abe Moline. So Abe came out with that external recall and it had a backing plate to it. And it didn't take everybody very long to look at that because that thing, man, ran like a rail. And, you know, there were some problems with it, but it also went, the latex was right, that thing ran like crazy. So it didn't, everybody at the same time hit on it and were like, why don't we put this on a diaphragm? And that's what started the whole deal. But right. it took everybody, I think, years to really dial it in and to understand there's back pressure. And I'm sure... Joe, like, you know, we, we've been talking tubes a little bit and understanding that that back pressure makes a difference in your mouth. Because you can take a tube, cup, cup your hand over something not running, and a reed may not make a gear. It, it may not catch a note. It just runs just from high to low, and there's no exchange whatsoever. You put back pressure in it, now you get seven notes out of it. So I, I think that all those things come into factor, but I think the roof of your mouth is where that started. And I think, uh, you know... Dater Kaboth won like four world championships. Um, Corey and I were still like super young, like working in juniors and John Sarkeesian senior was out there and John for 
Beyond, he's the only guy I'm actually openly going to say. You know, he's I'm, he's a little crazy. But, man, the dude was an uber-talented elk caller. Um, my brother-in-law won a couple. Uh, Big Al Morris had a couple. All these guys, man, are like 6'5", six, 6'7". Six, they're huge dudes. The pallets are all, like, really large compared to the small guys. So, and it's interesting that you say that because that was actually going to be my next question is, is there um, a relationship between – Pallet geometry and quality of of, of oh, color. No. Yeah. Oh no! Here we go, man. No, I'm just curious. You know, say engineer, I, you're I talking think, to here. And he's saying it. He, he's actually saying that. You know, I don't think super interesting. Like the only way you could do it, man, is to get everybody to do like a a mold of their palette right. and to sit down and comp- compare all these guys that have won a, a crap ton of world championships. Yeah. Then, and, and then see, see. That, that would be I think, I think we've already bridged the gap with the dome over styles and the bars over. And I think we've already figured out that back pressure plays a role. And I think that's uh-huh. why the smaller frames and the mid frames are becoming popular is because I think we're, we're bridging that gap. But without getting everybody together, man, and everybody doing, you know, a mold of their mouth, yeah, it's speculative. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on the middle side. On the middle side of the call, the middle, the mid, mid depth or medium size, which, which one would you recommend for a guy to start off with? Rocky makes some really good mid frames. Um, no, I'm talking about your call. No, I, I, no, I'm being fair. So we're in the middle I understand of, of pulling a uh, mid frame. We do a small frame right now. So I, okay. I think Phelps runs that small frame racket. Right. And, and we're starting to dip in that pretty hard now. We've got three different frames on that or three different calls on a small frame, and then nobody's really on the big frame, and, and I still think that's a mistake. It's been too good wow. for too long. You guys run I've actually heard, I've, I've heard you should put as much latex in your mouth as comfortable. You know, if it's, yeah. if it's comfortable on the roof of your mouth, you should go with as big a size. It's kind of like the weight on your arrow. but that's that's what i've heard because the the more latex you have the more like you said the more control you have over that i think so yep um i had a question about packaging yeah um you know so like if i go to you know any sporting goods store whatever and you're talking about light like being sensitive to latex how come you guys don't package them like a condom because you don't know i don't know how long it's been sitting in the store if it's just a new shipment you know i yep. would it make a difference <laughs> or not no it is man and guys will buy them and they'll smoke out you know um i don't have so yeah. it's been tried and unfortunately people aren't it's an innovative like, way to, it's an innovative we're, we're still way. grabby right, right. like I'm, still want to touch and feel and and i agree i think and it had been tried for a while like some of the early early diaphragms it's funny i I pulled up a picture the other day and it was so the early diaphragms even like man i have to look at the date on it but it was just aluminum like there was no even tape on it and you stuck that in the roof of your mouth and you just laid your tongue and that's what sealed it in fact rob x still runs turkey diaphragms without it with no tape at all he pulls the damn tape off and just runs it wow yeah yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. See, I would so love if, to be able to go to a, a Cabela's or someplace one day. Yeah. 
and just have somebody, hey, so what size do you look? I'm looking for the magnums, you know what I mean? And yeah. they'd be like, okay, well, here's your. <laughs> talking about mouth calls? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about yeah. <laughs> so, mouth calls. You know? yeah, I'm looking yeah. for the large ones, you know. <laughs> I've never had that, on, never had that opportunity. And there you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, if, if, if I'm a guy walking into a, like, like Eric said, if I'm a guy walking into a store and I want to start off with one of y'all's calls, would a Rip It Red be somewhere yeah. I, I'd want to start or a, you it's know, Rip super It low stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to be a black single. Yep. As a manufacturer. So our best selling read is that one and a half. Okay. And that 450 and that triple. Okay. Those three. And that, right. and that's something too, like manufacturers, we kind of get caught in this rut of, man, we need to do something new. I can tell you right now, man, I got too many diaphragms, you know, yeah. and, and even from a user standpoint, I can tell you those are our best sellers, gotcha. with, you know, that they just run for everybody really, really well. Um, one's a light, one's medium, one's heavy, you know, and that's just yeah. the way that sticks out. Well, and it, it kind of runs that a lot of hunters are just like fishermen, man. They just want every color lure. Basically, I'm, uh, but there's more lures meant for catching people than catching fish sometimes. 100%. You know? Yeah. But, uh, Ask me how I know. Um, one thing that I was going to say though, too, that I notice is we're talking about these diaphragms and we're talking about how they break down and thousands of guys out there are buying diaphragms now and they're using them and practicing on them and they're getting ready to go and then they take off with those same diaphragms and go to elk camp and they you know next thing they know they're not getting the noise or the sound or anything that they want in the first day second day or third day because they've blown them out for months already and then try to yeah. take so i recommend the guys you know when you practice on a diaphragm for two weeks and you find that you like that, that's a good fit. Yep. Immediately buy two to three more. more of those so that you have them, you know, when, when the season comes along because you're, you're going to grind those out, right? And I've, I've blown one out in two days, you know. Yep. Yep. And just, boy, the first couple of days, that sucker was solid, solid gold. And then go to make a bugle and what in the world is wrong with this thing? You know, well, and so, again, good thing that I carry a pile of them in my backpack. A lot, a lot of reason that some of those are solid just coming out is because a lot of them are soft latex and they come yeah. out and they sound yeah. great out of the box. They do. I mean, there's, there's some of those, uh, uh, certain calls out there that people that are, are excellent out of the box for making cow calls. Well, that's what you should keep that for. Use them yeah. for making cow calls because yep. that's what it's for. And then, you know, when you got to be cranking all day, man, you better get a little bit thicker latex so that you're making that. And that's actually could get in a sweet spot and become a great all around call for you. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which one of, which one of your all's calls, Mark, do you feel like it's a great all around bugle cow call? If you had to go like, okay, my life depending on me calling a bull elk in tomorrow, I'm, I'm taking that call and that's where I'm going. So on the large frame, I'd go the one and a half. Okay. And then on the small frame, I run that tribute a lot. It's a lighter weight right. read. It's super thin, but we backed yes. it with the, so we put a, a piece of point zero zero two five and then we backed it with a heavy piece of four thousandths on top of it to give it some spine. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call 
it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls, or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. And, okay. and I same deal, man. I smoke through them. You know, yeah, I carry yeah. a handful when I go, but yeah. I like that lighter latex. It's tinny. It's higher pitch. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we need to have that conversation a little bit, too. Call-wise, I, I think pitch is important. I think that yeah. big, high, flutey, reach out there, punch him, pierces the ear, carries. I like the high-pitch stuff. Um, those reach hold up as well. But yeah. that's what I run. So since gotcha. you're talking about what you're running, do it. Let's, let's move over to elk calling strategies and techniques, Mark. Uh, you know, you've got early season pre-rut, rut transition, and peak rut. Now, which of those three are the ones that you like to hunt the most? Now, I always look, you know, the last week of elk season, everything's cranking and they're snarling and tearing up trees and tearing the world <laughs> apart. You know, that's, so you know, I, I'll shoot a big one in opening day, but man, I'd much rather go the last week. Yeah. Okay. You know? So does your calling strategy change throughout that or? Yeah, absolutely. In what way? Let's, let's start out with, with that early season pre-rut. So I'm way more patient early and I'm way more passive. I kind of go with the feel in the woods, you know, and I want to get something stimulated to bugle. You know, I want to locate something. I want to get something started, but that may mean that I, I get to where I know there's elk consistently there. That mean I sit there for an hour or even three hours before I leave that area. Cause in, in, inevitably it takes, it takes those bulls sometimes 45 minutes before they feel like bugling back to you. Mm-hmm. you know, I think you got to be way more patient early. And, and I think too, you've got to be, you know, do you want to call one in or, you know, are you okay spotting and stalking? Are you, are you okay changing tactics? Are you okay climbing up the tree with the tree saddle and hunting a wallow? You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to conquer that early, that early elk season yeah. stuff. But, you know, I think that goes back to preference of how you want to go about it. So you what know, about, I think what about moving into rut transition now where, you know, you've got those young ones that are, starting to pick up cows and the big boys are staying out in the wings just waiting. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you guys know, I mean, you feel it too, that there's days that are hot and there's days that aren't, you know, you're just trying to find, you're just trying to be out there enough to have enough stuff going on that the law of averages come in your favor, you know? And I I think if I, one thing to my dad that he was great at is he was the most persistent bird dog running guy that I've ever seen. He stayed in the woods nonstop. He made sure I was raised with the saying to make sure you hunt the last day harder than you hunted the first day. And yeah. he went out that way. And his, his two That's biggest, awesome. trophies, that, that 400 inch elk he killed in New Mexico down on the Gila. And his, uh, he's got a moose that's, I think it's like number 14 or 15 now in the world. Um, that was Pope and Young up in Canada. He shot the, he shot both of those the last evening, the last day of the hunt in the last minutes. You know, that, that big bull he killed in the Gila, he had Philip Vanderpool that's over at Virtue TV now filming it. And he told Philip, you know, like, Hey man, it's last day. We're, we're going to punch whatever comes in. 
that's what came in. You know, wow. so it, I think you got to stay on the throttle the whole damn time and stay persistent. I think gotta that's a, it's, yeah. you, you got to be there just in case you're odd. Now, when you say stay on the throttle, gotta be present. A lot of things to to a lot of people is that staying on the throttle feet wise. Is that staying on the throttle call wise? Is that staying on the throttle? Yes, being out in the woods with <laughs> all. Flashlight? Yeah, I, I agree. Yes, yes to all of it. It's all of the above. Yeah, stay yeah. in the woods, man. Yeah, don't. Stay in the woods yeah. as much as you can. In Elboro's language, yeah. would be keep grinding. Eighteen kilometers. Keep yeah. grinding. That's right. And now, you let's go to your favorite time there. I mean, you you got those bulls that are screaming at that time, and so that means you got herd bulls that are a little bit, you know, they're going to be tough boogers to call in to pull off those cows. Are you are you after those herd bulls? Are you looking for those satellites? What's some of the calling techniques that you use, or do you use calling? Do you just try to Mohican sneaking into those boogers to get that shot? So it depends on how big the satellite is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is he a shooter or not? No, I mean, so I and and I think this is I think there's there's two or three things here that guys screw up the most, at least in my experience. And, one thing I enjoyed about coming back into the industry and listening to everybody, and I really do, man, I listen to all my peers. I make sure that I listen to podcasts and information, and I listen to Corey, and I listen to – dude, I listen to everybody, man. Yeah. Um, one thing that encourages me is we're all speaking of a pretty similar story, experience, and story and language. Like, you know, other than a couple things here and there, for the most part, man, we're talking the, the same language. Yeah. And I think when you get into that late season – I think two things happen. I think what we screw up the most is that whole call site theory. And I think they are call site in certain instances, but I think more often than not, I think we blow cows up and I think we push cows off and they take the damn bulls with us. For sure. Those elk don't, bugle and elk don't leave you if you are sounding like a cow and doing your deal and you're 800 yards away. Those cows leave. They pack everything up. You have no idea they're there and they take that bull with them party's over so uh, there's two things there one i think is distance and and i call it i call it indirect pressure right so even though we're calling even though we're not there even though we're not on top of them when you call you are still putting pressure into the woods but there's a lot less pressure at 800 yards versus when you're 100 yards right yeah now you're in his bubble yeah, and and it's you want to get in the in that bubble, but now you got to close five six hundred yards generally, right? Before you can really make any transition there, and you got to do it without pushing the cows off. So one thing that I really have found useful, at least for me, and I've heard this from some of the other guys, is really back off the big mature cow sounds and go light, go calf. Absolutely, calves get away with murder on the mountain, man. Like yeah. they can make noise, they can crash, they can burn, they can run around, they can make as much noise, and those cows could give a rip, yeah. generally. And so I, I think you got to be way more passive. If you locate something at 800 yards and you and you know, okay, I've got it located, now i got to get between point A to the bubble, how am I going to do that and not screw up, back off, go to your cow sounds. And then once you get in the bubble, and, and I think that bubble's 150 yards and under 100 if you can get to 100 but that's the way that I, I look at it. And I think people really have to understand that you are still putting pressure on elk. No matter what you do, when you are calling, you're putting pressure on them. So you got to be, you have to be conscious of that. And, you know, great point. Be smart about it. So what about the volume of it? I mean, 
like I know you have some incredible externals and we hadn't even talked about externals yet. We've just talked mm-hmm. about diaphragm calls because I think there's, there's some externals <clears throat> out there that guys use that, I mean, to get nasally sound, to get, RC or, or, you know, badass one. yeah. And so, you know, when you get in there, uh, are you using, you know, are, are you low volume on those calf calls? Are you those calves that are coming in or are those, or, you know, for these guys that are coming in, they're not sure, number one, how often they should call, how loud they should call. E- either of those mainly is their main concern, right? So I think it's relative. So I, I, I think we're in every guy here, like we're talking right now has done this, right? Like it's, yeah. man, he's 500 yards yeah, and he's 200 yards. Because he's facing the other way or he was behind a tree or so I think sounds relative. So, I mean, even though we think about it and we start like it's relative, I think it is for them, too. You know, so I, I don't back off how hard I blow, per se. Um, volume isn't as big of a factor to me. I think what's important is cadence. I think cadence is huge. I think you can sound like a shady cow, but you better have a natural, organic cadence to it. That's not repetitive and you sound like. Ferris Bueller's teacher doing roll right. call, man. You, yeah. you can't roll. So, so I know you have a call with you, whether it's external, whether it's diaphragm. Give these guys an example of the Ferris Bueller cadence and a natural cadence. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and this is the way I nail down hunters. Like, that's a hunter in the woods. Is, the, is they'll grab a cow call. They won't be overly proficient with it, and it'll be... It'll be the same time, the same sound, the same motion versus organic. That has a way more energy to it and a way different feel to it versus these other guys that just, I, I, I hear this a lot from guys, man, I'm afraid to call because I just don't want to screw up. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you're out in Colorado game. and you're hunting a unit with 30,000 acres or drainage with 30,000 people. Yeah. And you're, you know, what are you going to do, man? It's, yeah. you're just going to wait for elk terrain. It ain't going to happen. You yeah. Know? And you're, I'm just the opposite. You know, I'm scared not to call because I don't want to screw it up. I, I don't yeah. want to lose an opportunity, man. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, we talk about all the time that, you know, you can sit there and wait for somebody to come down your aisle or you can call somebody into your aisle, right? Yep. Um, or you can see that person in the aisle they're in and go after them and do that. Of course, that's that. But when you're out there in the woods and you're not seeing these animals and there are animals in proximity, you know, you can create those encounters and you do that by using language. And and like you said, that's like when I hear people talk about glunks, they're like glunk, glunk, glunk. Grunk, instead of how that bull sounds when he's running and moving and slowing down, where you know what I mean? So, uh, definitely being able to change up the volume, the tone, the length, the urgency, the emotion, which you were doing, you were showing a lot of emotion just earlier. Yeah, and, and what I is that call you're blowing there? That was that, it was our green weenie that we make. Yes, green weenie. Okay, green weenie, gotcha. I have a sense of humor. So, so like the, the green weenie. I like it. I like it. <laughs> the, uh, the big green, the, the green weenie. weenie. I got you, baby. The, the green weenie namesake came from dad was in hunting camp, and they had that old fighting cow call that we sold 10,000 of every year. And we had a guy in there that played guitar and sang, and 
they were making fun of that little bitty five cow call that just called in so many damn elk. Oh my god! And they called it. They nicknamed it the Green Weenie, which is where that came from. So <laughs> I love I, that. I, I had a really insecure kid come in the office the other day. He's like, "Man, I can't buy that. It just says Green Weenie. I can't own anything and put it in my mouth that says Green Weenie. That's just not going to fly." Got to watch, baby. <laughs> I'm ordering one tonight. I, I, you know, I think we've covered it all right now. I mean, we've called the prof, and you know, we got Eric looking for Mac. I mean, we've covered it all here tonight. Yeah. So you just need, Luis needs to get, Luis just needs to get Manano a gift green and get weenie. him the green weenie. Yeah. <laughs> See if I got one of pink. <laughs> the pink weenie. No, that, this, I may, I actually may have one. <laughs> this, this next question is, you know, we already know amongst us what, what the answer is most likely, but maybe it's where you find you're having the most success is, you know, morning, evening, or midday, your, your favorite time and the, you know, the, the favorite time that you like to hunt or that you have the most success. What would that be for you, Mark? Man, I, I don't know that I have one per se. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, I, I was asked a question, you know, what's the, what's your favorite call that you use and, and everything that you guys use and, and, you know, whether it's elk or turkey and, to be honest with you, it's the one that works. I really, I really don't care. I'm not emotional. Yeah, I just want the one that that works. And I feel like hunting time of day is the same thing. The reality is, especially for Colorado, we don't get to where we're going till ten, anyways. Like we usually got a two-hour hike at least ahead of us most often. So we usually end up hunting in that ten to two range and into the evening a little bit, you know, just because of the way it plays out. But, you know, you, you get some places. You guys are in a little different spot there in New Mexico that you can kind of get out and about and run a, a little bit earlier. But generally with us, at least the country that I hunt here in Colorado, it's all, you know, 12,000 feet. You know, we've got two hours ahead of us no matter what we do generally. So that usually burns us out till 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, and I, I actually, the, the hunt that I that I like the least is the evening hunt. And and it has nothing to do with success. I mean, we've had a lot of success on that evening hunt, but I hate racing the doggone sun, and I hate the oppor or the chance of hitting an animal right at dark, and then in that situation, you know, where now you got to go find that thing with lights and different stuff. It just adds an element of stress, you know, yeah. on that evening hunt and packing it out at dark. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't mind that as much. I mean, it gets cooler at night. That's not, but it's just, man, I mean, you don't see the hit as clear. You know, sometimes, uh, there's, there's some guesswork that happens there and now you gotta wait. And, you know, uh, if you do start tracking an animal and it is a hit that, you know, that animal's in a proximity and, and you've waited your due diligence, but maybe you misdiagnose the shot and it's a liver where he's going to take longer and you end up jumping that animal again because you just can't see it in the dark. Mm-hmm. You end up seeing it go off. It just adds that extra element of stress. So that's probably yeah, plus you're wore out from the rest of the day. I mean, you've been up and about hunting all day long too. So now you're up through the night and having to clean an animal if you find it and packing it and all that stuff. I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> well, you know, it, it basically comes down to I'm going to put an animal down if I have the opportunity. I'm going to kill it, right? But they're yeah, talking yeah. fun at me, Mark. I promise you, that's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Then, then, then people I start falling asleep on the carcass and stuff like that. It's just not, 
Uh, yeah, and barking orders when they wake up. Yeah. Like, we, we never give each other a hard time at the park. Man, bro. Yeah, never inappropriate. So let me ask you this then, man. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot for some of these, man. Strategies for when things go quiet. What, what are some of the, your strategies? Try to get him stimulated, but make your own party. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, make your own that, party. Okay. I, I like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll change th- some things up there. So a couple of things have happened to me that have always stuck in my head and they don't always play out, but it's, it's happened a couple of times. I'll get on a really big loud cow call and I will hammer that thing. Like I will make the trees ring. Um, we've got one call that we make that's way louder and channels just a crap ton of air. And I use it strictly for a locator, but when everything's quiet, that is the party, man. It's, it's just so loud. I mean, it, they're just not expecting it. So sometimes you can get one to kick loose there. The other thing is it usually seems like 10 or, or noon. If you're out in Colorado and you're hunting public land, you usually call somebody in by then. And I can't tell you how many times I've screwed with those guys and dove into trees and gone like full-on competition, just raising hell. And I'll be doing it for 15 minutes, right, just right? being inappropriate. And then, <laughs> then the damn elk bugles. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm nasty. I'm lip balling. I'm cranking. Like I'm, I am giving her both barrels as much as I can. And, and then when we're sitting there and the damn elk answers. Oh yeah. But I do that when you're normally hunting. I mean, that's not part of your, your general repertoire of going big. But man, there's been several times I've done that and then an elk has cracked loose. Yeah, we, I would have never heard otherwise. I'm going to tell you right now, I spent time with Brother R.C. Knox, and we hunted all day in an area where we ain't heard a sniff, nothing. And I I, I looked at him, I said, well, I don't know. I, I said, R.C., what do you think? He goes, I don't know, but I know what Joe will do. He said, I'm going to get my – just watch this. And he got his bugle tube out, man, and went to rip snarling bugles and cow calling. And, I mean, it was about a 20-minute set where he's just blowing the woods up. And, I mean, brother, it sounded – like a herd of buffalo coming off that daggum mountain. They erupted on us so fast. I was like, oh my God. And then we had some, uh, you know, some gifts from the gods with some bad wind and this, that, and the other. But I could have killed a couple of bulls in that set. I passed them. And RC wanted to choke the life out of me after him going through all of that, me passing them. But uh, at the end of the day, we had nothing else going, right? And I mean, it was just so quiet. He did that, and, man, it worked like a champ. So I've always remembered that. He was dizzy and out of breath, and you didn't want to shoot. <laughs> Dude, he wanted, I guarantee he wanted to roll my fat ass down that mountain. <laughs> well, and, and here's another deal, too, man. We all have these rules. We all have our strategy. We all have our template of how we would like things to go. Okay. We have rules. Every rule I've got was made to be broken. At some point, stuff went the other way. Yeah. Not all the time, but, man, it's – they're just rules. Man. They're 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 just they're just there to get you started. But there's going to be stuff that doesn't make sense sometimes that works in your favor. Yeah, but no, that's you a make, good, that's, you that's a great advice. That's yeah, a great advice because yeah. because yeah. basically you're just telling yourself, you know, don't be so set in certain ways because at some point you're going to have to adapt to that specific situation. You're going to have to become creative in order to seal the deal. Yeah. yeah. But everything you're saying, we've. Every one of us, I promise you, been in that situation and exactly what you've said, we, we've, I've seen it at work. We were ready to give up on a set. Joe and I killed a really nice bull in 2019. We were ready to give up and 
and get out of there. And I, I begged him one more time, let's do one more little set. And man, we hear a bull about a quarter of a mile from us and he's coming. I can hear he's hot because Joe went ballistic with lost cow calls. I'm talking loud. I mean, it was like, Oh my God, the woods come alive. And dude, that one bull. And here he come, man. Had to go to a wallow first and then come over a boundary to us. But we still called – Joe still called him in, and we killed him at 35 yards, man. Yeah, um, no, I tell you, man, you got to go to the – and, I, I, you know, hunt till the very last minute, till the very last second of daylight. Go as hard as you can because you know what? In December when you're sitting at home, you're yeah. going to regret it. Waiting for something to do, you don't care. Yeah. You don't remember it. You don't remember the four days of packing stuff out. You don't remember all the things. Yeah, you don't you know? remember yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Okay, so for whatever reason, whether it was terrain or it was because you didn't set up right in the first place, or whatever, you get that hung bull out there, man. Um, what are some of the strategies that you've had with that? So I'll either you, – you, you can play this two different ways, and I've had it kind of work and fail in, in different regards, I guess. I've actually had the, the old turkey school deal of just walk away from them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I can't tell you how often I've had actually even decent three-year-old bulls follow me and just stay 100 yards, and I'll move 100 yards. You know, like I, I'd give up and look. I'm not going to shoot him. I'm out. You know, I'll go to the next. Yes. <laughs> and they they keep following me. So that does work. You know, so you, so you could play that to your benefit. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Um, or you know, use those thousand-dollar pair of binoculars that's sitting on your chest and start easing in. Start paying attention. Start picking apart trees. Look for eyes, ears, nose, horns. Start using what you got and start slipping and sliding in. And calling wise, man, it's really hard. I, I, those bulls that hang up like that, I, you know, they got, I'm not generally gonna, got cows. I don't think there's a silver bullet there. I, I think you have to change tactics. Yeah, there's there's so many different tactics, and 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 I'm I'm with you. You know uh, that that young bull he's staying off, and there's a reason he's staying off. You got to give him a reason to come with you, and uh, and and we do that. We do that kind of pickle where you go one way and you come back. You know, so or you leave somebody there and you walk off and you get a call yeah. if it's a partner situation. We've also done it where you know, especially if we get eyes on that bull where he's at and he walks off, then we're going to get up to where we're effective shooting range from the last place that we saw him and then call back away from again because a lot of times they'll they'll come to the same place they just came from you know yeah there's that or you know that scenario we we're talking about pressure and, and range earlier mm-hmm. you know if you got something that's answering you every single time at 800 yards and every time you move up it it goes you know he pushes off further mm-hmm. fine sit there let the guy on the trigger move forward yeah. you know he's going to bugle every time say hey man every 10 minutes i'm going to pipe off and you guys slide in there and, and try try to get in, in that comfort zone where you can do something. So, dude, I'm going to really put you on the spot here, man. <laughs> Any golden nuggets, man, something that you the juice or the juice. A, a go-to call or sound. And, I yeah, look, I know it all varies and everything, but is there something that you have in your toolbox that other people don't that changes the game for you in certain situations, something – that is off the cuff or not even off the cuff? I don't think it's off the cuff, but I will say I think we call way harder than most people are comfortable with. I think we get on those open read cow calls because we've had so much success with them over the years, and we just way late to them, man. We don't, you know, you guys just heard me just running that a minute ago. We put that much energy in them. 
You yeah. know, that, those opening sequences, man, I, I'll, I'll sing that thing out there and let that note hang so it punches out there. I'll I'll do stuff that you don't normally hear in the woods because I, I feel like when you're calling, man, you are creating an energy out there. You're you're yeah. saying something. What, what's it going to say? Is it going to, you know. Come here, yeah. Do you, do you want do you Please want something dull and boring or do you want something screaming bloody murder going after him, man? I, I, you know, put some energy behind it. I think that is super important. We're not passive about it. You know, we will, if we have to, like I'll throttle back if I have to, but, but man, we, we go after it calling wise. We don't back off too much. Awesome. And what about decoys? They're great. So here's my deal on decoys. Um, if you got two guys, I think they're great. If I was just guiding full time again, There'd be one on my pack all the time because I, because it's my job as a guide to make sure my hunter has as many opportunities as we can get. So if that increases my odds for my hunter, I'll make sure I have one on my pack. And, and we've had some crazy good success with decoys in the past, but you know, uh, again, it, it's, it's funny. So we've got a decoy line and I'm fixing to sell it to a kid because they're great for outfitters. They really are. If you got two or three guys, that works out great. But for, and I do a lot of solo hunting. Um, it's just one more thing for me to carry. And when I'm on a three day excursion, you know, especially in Colorado, like I don't, we've got a few places that I try to hunt where we can just bump in and hunt. But I mean, it's, I usually go in a couple hours and, and plan on staying three days, you know, so it's just one more thing I got to pack and carry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I find. Uh, the more decoy is, the less people will use it. Right. Just to kind of wrap things up here and some awesome content, guys that are just starting out, the rip at one and a half and the tribute would be somewhere you'd start, huh? Yep. And then definitely that green weenie. Uh, does, is that harder to under, to navigate how to blow some of the external calls like no, that? So I, I will say this. What we did on the green weenie that was a little bit different. We built that off the old fighting cow call platform. That was such a positive platform. Yeah, we wanted to keep that, so that's why we did the barrel that was mag ported. I wanted gotcha. a really short nasally barrel yeah. to it. That, that was important, yeah. but it was so damn small. You dropped the damn thing, and there was no like it was too too small. So we mag ported that barrel. But the biggest thing on that tone board, we went in and sandblasted the injection mold, so there's a small texture on that. Yeah, and the deal with open reads is they hang up like a mother when they get wet. That thing, as soon as we put a texture on it, it helps tremendously on that read performance. It doesn't hang up near as bad. Yeah, RC's got a – is it the hypercall that you have of theirs, brother? And, man, that thing is money. When they're wound up, that hypercall is crazy cool. Yeah, uh, It sounded a lot like that green weenie for sure. Yep. Yep. So that's the – like I said, it's like adding that texture to the tone board. That that was the – I think we're building so many things now. That we're good at it. So that's awesome, brother. Let's build it a little bit better. You know, so we're, I'm, I'm taking stuff traditionally that has been bomb proof that we've used time again and it's been tried and true and improve on what we've done in the past. Yeah, fantastic. Native by Carlton. Native by Carlton. Native by Carlton. Look, how humbled are we to have you, brother? Thank you so much, Mark, for you coming up here and and sharing these. We call it the juice, man, the real juice, but from the elk calling uh, culture that's out there. And we can't thank you enough, brother, for coming in. Man, I sincerely appreciate the time, man. Uh, Ask one more thing. Thank you. On on your diaphragms. are you the one that Joe was talking about our, our, you know, being an artist, things like that? Are you are you drawing this stuff up that's coming out on those? 
So yeah, all the uh, all the graphic design, all the pictures so on cool. the website, all the photography, all that's all that's me. The Man, Patriot wow, ones are awesome. Man. Yeah. That's a skill set I do not have, but they look incredible. Yeah. So nice so, job. What, what has really been innovation is desperation and needing. <laughs> 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 always does, always will, man. Always, always will. does, exactly. always will. Yeah. Sounds like a horseshoe to me. <laughs> <laughs> From one to another, huh? Hey, and, and I think um, – Let's do this too for for the show for everybody that was listening. Let's do an order code for you guys. Oh, let's so do like awesome. a forty percent off deal, and you wow, guys figure out where to find that on the forty percent off. Man, so you the man, brother. Yeah, sure. It's gonna be incredible. We'll run a sale for a couple of weeks with you guys on that, and awesome, we'll man. go from there. Do you have oh that code already to say it over here, or we're we just going to put that in the show notes? Uh, let, let's just do Elkrose forty. Man, forty okay. percent! Holy Lord, y'all! Yeah. Um, yeah. Not know the deal you just got. If uh, yeah. uh, thank look. you so much, Mark. Yeah, what a gracious, awesome. Elk Bros, what a gracious guy, man. R O S four zero, and that's forty percent off, man. Um, and you're gonna run that for two weeks, Mark. After this comes yeah. out, right? Awesome. Yep. So, uh, thank you, Mark. Awesome. Wow. We didn't expect that, Elk Bros fans. That's for dang sure, man. Mark Carlton, uh, they showed up and showed out here on the show tonight. Guys, if you like what we're doing, check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husband kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Mark, thank you, guy. And for our grinders out there, here's some more music from our brother Tony Wintrip. Tony! our show. Tony! Peace, peace, everybody. Peace. Peace. Y'all be good. I'll make my living working east of town Late nights in the summer the sun goes down. I can't stop thinking about how my life's changed, but I'm still the same as I was young. I peeled them bark trees one by one, made a couple of dollars, filled my gas tank once, and I left my Yeah.
Wow. Uh-huh.